friends, welcome to season two, episode two of the Making Room on the Pew podcast, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. Before we get started, I really want to say thank you so much for coming back to join us for this second season. I'm really, really excited about the conversations my new co-host, Reverend Sarah, aka Pastor Wife, and I are having here, um, and for the conversations you all are pushing us to have with your questions and feedback. If you do have questions or comments or suggestions of topics you would like to hear us talk about, feel free to let us know. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BaileyJoeWelch and at BaileyJoeWelch.com. All right, so let's get into this episode, which I am just so excited for you all to hear. I think this is the most vulnerable and open that I have ever been on the podcast and quite possibly more open and vulnerable than I've ever been in any sort of way. Um, I really think that I show more of my heart and scars in this conversation than I have in any other writing or speaking or anything um, in the public space. Um, So this is a topic that is just really near and dear to my heart, and I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to share it with you today. So we're opening our podcast today with a little bit of somber news, and that's why (laughs) we opened with the sound of a Miller Lite can being opened. Uh, Our favorite pub in West Orange, the Brown Bear Pub, has uh, closed indefinitely. Um, I'm a little upset. I think Bailey's a little upset too. No notice, which is disappointing, but also we loved going there. Uh, The owner was a great guy. Staff was great. They always knew our drink order. It sounds like you're doing like a whole... uh... If he's listening, like a like oh, a funeral. I am. For the I, I feel like there. I am. You know, I I think the only time I ever had a bad meal there was when one of the bartenders convinced me that uh, I should order a deconstructed chicken pot pie, and really what it was was like cream of chicken soup with like a phyllo pastry on top, <laughs> and I was like super pissed because like they have really good wings, and I should stick to what I know. And so, to the brown bear and to the owners and to the crowd you know we miss you and i don't know what we're gonna do on friday nights now i'll tell you that okay but like honestly just to let all of our listeners know how serious this is we have been going to the brown bear pretty much every friday night for two years yep because we stick with what we know and we found the perfect place they had like a great vegetarian yeah. burger, which is really helpful because you can't always trust vegetarian burgers. And uh, the bartender made the best martinis ever. Yeah. And it was they, so good. And the owner would like do fun things with you, like if you were like give you free shots yeah. if you went in before what was it before four or something. So, yeah, like on a, we were there on a Monday one time randomly to celebrate you getting um, the job you have now as the, yeah. as a paralegal, and he just gave us free shots out of nowhere. You know, that's probably why they went out of this. <laughs> God, I hope that wasn't his. If you're listening, I don't remember his name, but I don't either. But we miss you, and it's a tough location in West Orange. If you're from West Orange and you're listening to the Our podcast, are not from some of them might New be. Jersey. You, know, you know what? Some of them might be from New Jersey. If you're in West Orange, it was downtown. Uh, it's a tough location. To anyway, have it was sad, and now we have to find a new place for date nights on Fridays because this Friday, after we went and there was a sign that just said closed indefinitely, 
we had to make do. So we like went to the liquor store and bought wine and beer and then we had to come home and we ordered from Hooters (laughs) (laughs) because I refused to actually go to Hooters, but at least I got my wings. That's all that mattered to me. Yeah. All right. So we are going to start this podcast or this podcast episode with a new little segment called I was hoping that it would just like come out, you know, like <laughs> right. like on Parks and Rec when Leslie Nope was like talking and she was like, oh, I really thought that was going to work. Like mm-hmm. her new idea was just going to come. Anyway, we'll name it eventually. But basically this is the segment that is going to pop up when after we released an episode, we got questions or right. feedback from our listeners about the things that we said. So... Last episode, we were maybe a tad insensitive, maybe like a little cheeky little with cheeky. what we were saying. I would say we were very cheeky. Okay. Um, when we were talking about the things that we disagree about and we wanted to clarify because right. we did get some questions or feedback specifically about you because mm-hmm. you are a pastor and you, regardless of what you believe, you should be... Um, uh, transparent yes. about what it is that yes, you believe. Absolutely. So we talked about how you didn't believe in creationism mm-hmm. and um, kind of made fun of people who do. But like, I mean, I understand you and like where you are coming sure. from right. because we make fun of each other all the time mm-hmm. about that. But our listeners may not have understood that because we didn't explain it very well. No, we did not. Um, so I'm just going to let you talk a little bit about what you actually believe. Just clarify a little bit. All right. So. I do but make be- it quick because we're not talking about creationism today. <laughs> okay, so long story short, I do believe that God created the universe. Yes. I just don't believe that it happened the way it's depicted in Genesis. Because there are two stories in Genesis, and if you go back and... No, there's not. Yes, there is. Go back and read it. <laughs> I, I'm not lying. It's there. Um, I think that um, God created the universe. I think that the stories we have about creationism are humanity's uh, experiences with God and how they believe it happened. Um knowing that I have a, a little bit of a scholarly background when it comes to the the Bible and going through as much school as I have, I know kind you of how... You are going back for your doctorate. And I am going back I mean. for my doctorate. So there's a little bit of that. that um, knowing how the, the scriptures were brought, you know, pulled together and mm-hmm. recorded and when they were recorded, you know, that's... I just don't believe that it happened the way that it did in Genesis 1. So, But you're not saying that we like evolved from goo that just happened to be here for no. whatever reason. Or no, that no, like no. the Big Bang Theory happened, but it happened spontaneously and there was nothing. God had nothing to do with it. When you look at the mathematical odds of any of that happening, including um, life on this planet evolving to intelligent life like us, there's no way that that isn't divine. Um, So I do believe that God created the universe. I also believe that we're not alone in the universe, but I'm sure that that's a whole other podcast that we can talk about. Did you know that when I was growing up Mm -hmm. at church, when we were like proving that the Big Bang Theory couldn't have happened, we, uh, there was this youth sermon. Oh Lord. And there was like this, um, like a watch or a clock, like a little tiny clock or mm-hmm. something that they like took apart okay. and put it in this plastic bag. Okay. And was like, so just shake this together. Mm-hmm. And like, if 
like the odds of it actually going together clearly it's not just going to like magically come together and that's what people said like that's why the big bang theory couldn't have happened because like it's just a bunch of parts and nothing could like it couldn't have come together without god sure which is essentially what you're saying is Mm -hmm. that the big bang theory could have happened but it was all put into motion by god yeah i mean i believe that god created the universe i think and that god was the first and only thing at that time absolutely um i also believe that the seven days could be seven days that are not human based like we don't know how long those days were and that when you're recording these things as a nomadic people which the israelites were they had to record why they did certain things like what did they keep nomadic people Tra- traveling so if you look at the stories through like exodus and judges and everything yeah. and joshua they're traveling to the promised land right so these stories are passed down to them mm-hmm. and when they finally get to be more settled they record them and that's right. why you have two different ones in genesis and i swear i'll pull my bible out and i'll read it well because there's yes. there's one in genesis one and one in genesis two right? right and you get what i think is interesting about creationism and when you look at the stories and in, in genesis and you and you watch it go god becomes a little bit more um God's very human-esque, right? Mm-hmm. God's angry. God's doing this. God's walking around. And I yeah. think human beings, and I'm, and I'm speaking a lot for myself, like human beings understand that because we're trying to conceptualize God. Right. And, you know, if we are made in God's image, then that doesn't mean that God wasn't angry at some point. And, you know, the Bible as a whole, you know, I think somebody asked me if I was, you know, I didn't believe the Bible was the inerrant word of God. I think we talked about that last time. We talked time. about that because we disagree. Right. I, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they would say with the Bible and say like it's not worthy I mean it is all my my sermons are scripture based solely on that but you know humanity evolves and the God that requires a woman to marry her rapist in Deuteronomy is not the God that I understand and know and so that means our understanding of God changes and that means that we don't put a pre-modern world trying to fit that into our modern world that's like fitting your foot into a shoe that's two sizes too small and it's okay to look at the scriptures and say like wow I can feel where God inspired this but I can feel like God is still working and God is still speaking to me Uh, I think the misconception we make is that the canon closed at the end of revelation and then boom that's it God still speaks through these scriptures and guides you in a very prophetic way in the modern era okay so we're going to move on because you're getting a little little off the rails here, and I know you like to talk about this. I wouldn't and we are going off the rails. To do, not off the rails. That was the wrong thing to say. But you're like you're heading in a way that we're not going today. If so our we, if our listeners want us to go that way, they should comment and let us know. That. Well, we are we are going to do a whole episode on creationism, and we'll talk about the two stories in Genesis one and Genesis two, mm-hmm. and then we are also going to do a whole episode on the Bible and like how we got it and the. Mm-hmm. Like how some people believe that it's the in- inerrant word of God and like sufficient for all things. And then how some people right, like yourself mm-hmm. say that the canon hasn't necessarily closed. So yes, we are going to do episodes on all of those, but not today. Right. Today we're talking about something else. So tune in. Yes. Um, but I do want to point out here really quickly. Yes. Two things. Okay. We do actually take this work really seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, we do understand that we have an audience and that we're talking about really important things and that we're teaching people really Mm -hmm. important things. Um, So if you do hear something that you have questions about or that we're not clear about or that you think is actually more harmful than helpful, which we are human beings. 
It happens. We could say something. Um, just let us know. Um, we will talk about it or clarify it or um, if we are actually just completely wrong, we will we'll, apologize and talk about it. We'll own it. Um, we'll own it, yeah. Um, because we are not experts on all things. I mean, you have a lot of theological training, but that doesn't mean that, like, no, I, you know, we are on. we are experts on nothing other than our own experiences and our own stories and what we have learned about God mm-hmm. through those experiences. Um, and we do want to make sure that this space is a safe space for as, everybody. As safe as it can be. I mean, there is no such thing as really a safe space in this day and age, but what we are trying to create is a space where... For we, all people to be heard. Yes. And... But also challenged. And challenged. Yes, that is true. But we challenge each other, so that's, yep. that's a good model. Um, and then the second thing I want to point out is that you bought us... Miller Light. You have never bought us light beer. <laughs> Why? I don't know. This beer just reminded me of the brown bear because every time we sat at the bar, it was always in the front of their beer cooler and oh. I could always see it. And it kind of like, okay, it made me, I mean, to, to the brown bear, I mean, to the brown bear, let's raise it up one more time. It just clinked for them. Okay. So, uh, on to the important things Absolutely. of this, uh, podcast. So, uh, what are we talking about today? I don't know. What are we talking about today? Aren't you guiding us through this conversation? You do know. We just talked about it. Okay. So maybe you weren't listening. We were talking about church. Yes, we were talking about church. We are going to talk about church, which is fitting because it is sun- Sunday. Well, not when it releases, but today, the day that we're recording is Sunday. Is a Sunday afternoon. Yes. Um, so we do talk a lot on this podcast about the church mm-hmm. because it's all about making room. Yes. In the church for all people of all ethnicities, ability levels, socioeconomic statuses, gender, sexual orientations, everything. Yes. Can you explain to us... Oh boy, here we go. Because I think you can do it better than me. Okay. Um, the difference between the universal church, big C, and the local church, small c. Well, I think you kind of just summed it up pretty nicely. Uh, anytime you see the big... See in a church, or when someone's calling it the Catholic and Apostolic Church, we're not referring to the Catholic Church, like the Roman Catholic, the Roman church. Catholic church. We're talking about the church as a whole, like the church that I belong to, the church that every person who professes a faith in Jesus Christ and follows behind. Um, that's the big C. Little C are your little churches, right? So I'm the pastor of Community Church of Cedar Grove. That's a little C church, mm-hmm. but the church as a as a whole that includes Roman Catholics, that includes Methodists, and you know. Uh, United Church of Christ and, and Presbyterians and all of that and every single denomination under the sun, that is the large church. Uh, I actually don't know this answer. I don't know if you know this answer. Oh, um, the universal church mm-hmm. is all Christians everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So it's only, so it's not only Protestant. Mm-mm. It's just all Christians. Yes. Which includes, so it's Protestant. Protestants and Catholic. Is Catholic the only non-Protestant denomination? I mean, there's different kinds of Catholics, too. There's, like, Eastern, or there's there's Orthodox Catholics. I mean, you could dice up Catholics a little bit, too. You know, there was a lot of schisms into the Catholic Church between Roman Catholicism and Eastern uh, Orthodox. You have the Greek Orthodox Church. You have the Russian Orthodox Church. That is complicated. And probably okay. a whole other. I was just curious. That's all. So, 
Yes, and if there are, I, I have a lot of uh, friends of mine who do church history, so if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I'm pretty sure. I'm sure they will. Oh, I know they will. <laughs> I went to school with a lot of qualified uh, theologians, so. Okay, right. So this podcast is, is all about the church, and mm-hmm. it's our, our goal and our hope to make the church and God and the Bible and the gospel accessible to all people everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for a lot of those people to whom we are trying to mm-hmm. convey the message of the gospel, the all-inclusive message of the gospel and, you know, God's love, um, a lot of those people have had really hard experiences and yeah. painful experiences um, in the church, including both of us. Yes. Um, I mean, I definitely have some hard feelings about church right. and about the church. Um, and we talked a little bit about it last episode about how, like I was asked to step down from my leadership positions when I came out and then I didn't go back to church, at least not consistently for a really long time. Like actually until I moved here to New Jersey and then I like accidentally became like a quote unquote pastor's wife. You didn't accidentally become a pastor's wife. You were, you know, you know what you're getting yourself into. I did. I did know. Yes. But I also did not realize <laughs> all that that would there's, entail. There's new, nobody lets you know how it is, so. No. Um, and so when you become a pastor's wife, you kind of are required to go to church. And and I don't mean that in, like, that you force me to go to church. I mean. I can't force you to do anything, so, I mean. Right. What chance do I have there? <laughs> right. But I want to be clear. Is that, yes. like, you don't force me to go to church or, mm-hmm. um anything like that, but I did feel like I should be in church because we do this as a family. It's a team effort. Right. Um, So I had that really hard experience. You had some hard experiences of being excluded from church leadership, um, and yet you're still here. A full-time pastor, going back to school for your doctorate of ministry, I'm still here, still somehow surviving as a kind of pastor's wife. Um... But a lot of people are not back in church or have not gone back to church. Um, Somehow, despite everything that we have been through, Mm -hmm. we're still here. Right. And um, I do want to clear up something really quickly before we (laughs) dive further into this, is that um, you and I are not like, quote unquote, fixed from our church uh, (laughs) experiences. You know, like we are not um, completely healed from those experiences. No. Um, we aren't immune to the painful experiences that um, women and queer people still experience in the church. Um, I mean, I think I can safely say that, like, I honestly would not be involved in the church if I weren't married to you. Um, I just don't think that I would have, like, given it another chance. Right. Um, Which is not, not good. Right. And, and that's um, what I was thinking about the other day is that it feels like this was just God, like, pulling me back to the church. Right. Again. Like, I feel like it's been, like, ten years of me, something happening, and me walking away, and then God pulling me back. And that's just, like, been our rhythm mm-hmm. for years. And I don't see that changing anytime soon of, like, me constantly trying to leave, and then God constantly trying to pull me back. Mm-hmm. I think that's how God works, in a way. I mean, that's how I felt during my ordination process was anytime I kind of threw my hands up in the air, I was like, well, screw this. I'm not going to do it. God was like, nope, 
And I think the best example of that was after I moved back from Ohio at the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. It was like two weeks later, I got a call from my friend uh, Ron over at Rutherford, and he uh, had to go um, on disability for a back injury, and I was their uh, supply pastor for four months. And it's like, anytime I ever said no, God was like, you know what? I don't like that answer. So the answer is yes, and here's how I'm going to provide for you. And I think that's the other, I know we're digressing a little bit, but I firmly believe that if you ask God for help or you need it, God does provide. It may not look the way you want it to look. Like, obviously, if today I prayed for like a bucket of money to fall on my foot, it's not going to happen. But God does absolutely provides a way for you to get what you need. And I think we forget that. Yes. And I appreciate you uh, stepping in there because I almost started crying. Yeah, and I, I have I never actually <laughs> cried on the podcast before. Well, we're, that's what I'm here for. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love you. So, I love you too. Thank you. Um, people don't want to hear our much you love. Well, too bad for them. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, yes. So, this, like, having hard experiences and mm-hmm. um, still being here in the church. And that's really why I started writing my next book called Making Room on the Pew. Um, because I, when I came back into the church, I was trying so hard to find a space for myself. And eventually I just realized that there's not a space for me. There's not a space that like looks the way I want it to be. So I started literally like carving out spaces for myself. Um, have you ever felt that way? Like where you, like there just wasn't the space you needed. And so you literally had to go in and like make room for yourself in the church. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think even the most progressive and open church that professes to say like everyone is welcome still has parameters they put on what ministry looks like. Um, and I think that's something that every person faces where you can go into a church that everything kind of clicks for you, but then you're like, Oh, I want to do this or I don't feel this way. And you're going to have to carve it out. And I think that's because the church is an institution and institutions are hard to change. So yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think I got lucky in my early days over at um, my, my home church that I got a lot of uh, leeway to do some stuff, but I still had to carve that out in a way. So yeah, I think everybody has to go through that. Yeah. So as we're talking about the church, I feel like we need to also talk about the early church, like the first church. Mm -hmm. Um, Which one? The one, well, that's a good question. When did we first um, see what we would call the church start to emerge? Like, is that in Acts? Well, I think Acts is starting it, but um, you got to look at the letters from Paul too. You know. Right, but Acts comes first. Yeah, I think... Acts does come first, but, you know, you got to look at also, too, Acts gives us the stories of the disciples, right, and the, and the apostles and what their mission is out. And you get right. to meet Paul, or sorry, Saul, then becomes Paul. Mm-hmm. You get to see the tensions rising between the church and Jerusalem and what, what Paul's been called to do for uh, the rest of the world. So when we're talking about the early church, you got to think about, too, Can, which church are we talking about? Right. Well, just like the universal Right, the universal church. church. Right. So do you want to explain that a little bit and keep in mind that like maybe people don't haven't like read the Bible or this sure. is like their first like little peek into stuff like not not super into in depth not well, like not like academia I won't go too in depth I mean if you're the church basically started the moment Jesus ascended into heaven and yes I do believe in resurrection just in case there was any 
you know, I do believe in resurrection and Jesus was resurrected. Yes. And you can read about that in this, in Acts and how Acts 2, you know, the where there's so much diversity and, and God brings us together. And, you know, uh, one of the books I'm reading that we linked last week talks about how uh, the call for multiculturalism comes from Acts 2, where everybody is joined together. And, right. Um, and then from there, you have the groupings of letters, the epistles from yes. Paul. And those are letters from Paul. To specific churches. Well. Specific groups in specific places that he went and started ministry in. But here's the question. Are they all actually written no. from Paul? Because I heard somebody said something about, um, was it Hebrews maybe? Was maybe written by Luke? Could be. I mean, there's parts of Paul's letters. Like there's a piece. Actually, I was looking at First Corinthians not too long ago. Because uh, I was answering a question about First uh, Corinthians six, yes, um, where scholars think that the end of Corinthians, where Paul is talking about how women should uh, be quiet in churches, is actually an insertion, and that he didn't say that. And I can see that because Paul is not really that. Paul, I think what people uh, forget about on women. I, I, I go back and forth with Paul. Like he is the model for for pastoral care in a way because of the way he uh, he addresses each each group consistently to them. I don't think Paul ever intended for the letters to the Ephesians and what they were specifically going through to be applied to the church worldwide. Right. There are certain lessons, like we talked about today, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are, are two of my favorite passages yeah. ever written, um, not about Jesus in the New Testament, about grace. And that's important, too. Um, Which basically says that grace is given freely, you are saved by, yep. you're saved by grace through faith. Yep, and not, there's not works. Not by work, so that we cannot boast or something. Yeah. I had that memorized at one point. Yeah, and that was part of my sermon on salvation in which I made the claim that you can't earn it, you can't buy it. It's, it's already there. there. It's just given to you, and you can, you should accept it. Um, but you can choose you to can either choose accept it or, or not. not. Exactly, and I think if I was a, a betting woman, I would say most people want to accept it. So, yeah. Um, in answer to your question about the church, we got to look at first which church we're talking about, and then... These churches started because Paul was commissioned to go there. And, you know, you have these letters that he wrote addressing specific needs. What's interesting is that we don't have in the canon uh, the letters that those communities wrote to Paul. So it's sort of like right. we don't know what they were asking. We have to infer a lot. So, yeah. like, in Corinthians, you learn about how they were upset about... Uh, Meat being, they didn't understand if they should be eating meat that's been offered to idols, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't know what they wrote to Paul, so we don't. Right. We only have one side of the conversation going on there. Some of those letters are attributed to Paul, like the letter from James is not from Paul, but James is a good letter talking about church life. And some of those things you can apply. I thought James was written by James. That's what I'm saying. James was written oh, by okay. James. Okay. So I thought I was just going <laughs> to the early church. It's interesting. So. The misconception about the early church is that everything was united and that everybody did, they lived communally and that they had one communal pot. That's the ideal. It, it definitely didn't play out that way. Well, but we don't know that. We can infer it from what Paul is addressing, though, because... But, but regardless of whether that happened or not, that's what Paul thought would be the very best way right. for things to happen. And so even just thinking about... About... I mean, Paul was, what, 
is called like the quote unquote like first Christian or he's the apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, whatever yeah. you want to call him. Um. Anyway, if we give him all of the like mm-hmm. reverence that that people typically do, then like shouldn't we be following that? I think you can, but I also think we have to remember too that Paul wrote for specific places that were going through specific crisis. So like. Ephesians was facing something, Romans, the church in Rome was facing something else. You know, you're talking about communities in the ancient world that didn't have concepts like we have now. And that becomes hard because humanity has evolved. And so it's not, you it, like again, like I said earlier, to take a pre-modern context, to take a world that we don't inhabit anymore, and then try to cram that back into that is not gonna work. And it's just not gonna work. And you're not gonna get people here to the church. If I, tomorrow I got up and preached that women had to cover their heads and like I had to just give up my pulpit and all this stuff, people wouldn't be coming to this particular well, church. Well, some people would be. Some people would, but not the people that I minister to. I'm pretty right. sure that, that church, my church would empty out. Um, and it's hard to ascribe a pre-modern uh, ideal to the modern world. It's just not... So those nitty gritty pieces are hard, but the, I think the essence of Paul's letters, and this is why I tend to believe more that the Bible is uh, inspired, but not, you know, inerrant, the ideas of sharing and being communal and, you know, not taking arguments to judges and working it out amongst yourselves and, you know, talking about spiritual gifts and that gifts are important. Like in, when you're talking about Ephesians 4, that, um, all of those gifts are necessary for the body to work. Um, that stuff's important, but nitty gritty things about, you know, eating meat from idols, like we don't have that anymore. So how do you translate that? So yeah. in terms of the little church, you know, we're talking about little churches in the epistles, like Rome had a little church, Ephesus, Corinth, um, Galatia, yeah. all of that. The things they were going through were real, but they were real for that particular location. And some of those lessons we can take to today, but some of them we can't. And I think Paul knew that. And when he wrote those letters, they weren't circulated to other communities, as far as I know. It's not like the letter from the Ephesians got on a boat and went somewhere. It was for the Ephesians to read. So they were circulated among them. So it's complicated. Um, I think the early church is a good microcosm of what that world looked like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is that the early church, the first church, looked very different than the churches that we have now. Oh, yeah. They definitely wouldn't have had these big steeples. The, the, what I love about the, the early church, I don't mean to cut you off, is the idea of it being in someone's home. I love the idea of the liturgy. I think if you look at, um, some of Galatians, you pick up on the baptism liturgy that they Mm -hmm. were using back then. And it's just, absolutely gorgeous i love the idea of the intimacy of the early church i think while i appreciate steeples and buildings and sanctuaries the intimacy of being in someone's home of Mm -hmm. opening up your home in a time when it was dangerous to be a christian yeah and having that communal pot and sharing communion the way that like probably literally the way that jesus did it yeah with the cup and then passing it around and that enacting it so close that that I think we, we miss in the modern church. And I think we could definitely, we would stand to benefit from bringing things in, like having more home churches and having more communion look a little less ornate with these like silver cups and go back to some of those practices. But yeah. 
you know, that is a really good lead-in into, like, what I wanted to talk about next. I didn't mean to stay and talk about the early church quite so long, but Mm -hmm. it was good stuff. Um, In today's society, when Mm -hmm. we have so much stuff to do, I mean, people are, like, working, what, at least 40 hours a Mm -hmm. week, if not more. People are going to school. People have sports. People have extracurriculars. People have volunteer work like so much stuff Mm -hmm. it is really easy for church to just start feeling like another or an obligation yeah like a chore something Mm -hmm. to check off a list just another thing that you have to do um so I want to talk a little bit about like why we as Christians go to church like why is it important for us to make it a priority why why spend I mean I know that most of the time it's only maybe two or three hours a week but why would we spend this time at church when there are so many other things that's a good point I mean I think lots of people work on Sundays too and the world does not shut down on Sundays anymore like it did 50 years ago you know stores are open things are going on you know yeah but even I mean a lot of churches now have like Wednesday night services or Saturday night services so like let's take out the whole like people can't go to church on Sundays. Like, let's just take that out completely. Why should, why is it important for us to prioritize church at all? I think there's always a benefit in how crazy your life is to take time out and be with God in a, in a place where other people are doing the same thing. Right. And that's what I want to point out because a lot of people, myself included, mm-hmm. for a long time, I just kept saying, why would I go to church when I could go on a walk and find God more mm-hmm. in the trees? Right. Not to sound super uh, mystical, but honestly, like, why why church instead of at a coffee shop with friends? And I think you can still have church at a coffee shop with friends. There's a lot of churches that now meet in bars and coffee shops. And, you know, uh, you look at something like Hillsong that meets at a theater. Yeah. But I think going to church and setting aside that time, so, like, our, our service is from 10... Um, I'm getting everybody out by 10, 45, 11. So like that hour period. Summer hours. Summer hours, baby. <laughs> um, that period is yours to, to really be intentional with your time with God. To pray, yeah. to listen, to, to be challenged, to challenge back, but also to be in fellowship. I think we forget, too, that it is super important to be around um, other people. Yeah. Um, it can, the world is already kind of an isolating place sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I used to think similarly too, like on Sunday, I could just spend it with my Bible, right? Or I could listen to a sermon. It is not the same than sitting next to someone, you know, or being at a coffee hour where you can catch up with somebody. And I think that's important too. And I'm not saying to people who spend their Sundays doing something outside or anything that, Hey, I need to see you in church at 10 o'clock, but the benefit to being with a group of people can't be overlooked. And it's important. You know, I mean, before I was a pastor and I was just going to church, there'd be Sundays I'd miss because I'd want to, like, lie in bed or go do something else. And that's okay. But the benefit I got from this is my time. In this time, I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going to argue back with that sermon because I may not believe it. I'm going to intentionally pray. I'm going to listen. I'm going to sing. You know, it's really nice. I mean, I don't have the world's greatest voice, but it is super great when you know a hymn. And you can just like sing it out loud and other people are singing and you're bringing joy. That needs to happen. And in, in the world we operate in now, we don't get that. Yeah. If we, we are told to like schedule yourself all over the place. And it's nice to have that time to be intentional with God. 
So I think that's why people should go to church. You should go to be challenged. You should go to pray for the people in the world, especially all the stuff going on on the border. You yeah. know, you need to, you need to be pray. You need to pray. And you need to be challenged, and you need to go out and be refreshed, and go out and do God's work in the world. Yeah, and to learn. And to learn. I mean, you gotta learn. I mean, there are a lot of places like you can listen to podcasts. You, like people could listen to our podcast and be like, "Sure, well, Reverend Sarah, <laughs> like she said this. That must me. be it, <laughs> right?" And and that's all well and good, but. Um, I heard something on a podcast that I do not typically agree with, but mm-hmm. it's fun to listen to. Um, and he was talking about how it's all well and good to listen to pastors online or sermons online or whatever, but that if you don't have like a church or a pastor, then you're just learning from like a general message. Mm-hmm. But like when we go... When when our congregation when our congregation when your congregation it's our comes congregation to church yeah they know that you are specifically teaching because God is leading you to teach these specific things to our specific church to get us where we need right. to go and and to to change the community our community exactly I I consider it my responsibility to be teaching and equipping my congregation to go out into the world uh, and teach others. You know, yeah. we're going into this, I'm doing a summer sermon series, I think I mentioned it last week, about mm-hmm. uh, words in the Bible. And this time we talked about salvation. And I think it's important that you educate your congregation because they're the ones on the front lines for Christ. You know, you got to teach people to understand what's going on in the Bible and help them understand the layers in which they approach the scriptures and what they've heard and how to peel that back and how to examine that. And that can really only happen in church. And I think... Being with that community-based, you know, and being with like-minded individuals is important. Yeah. Um, right. So we laid out a couple of benefits of going mm-hmm. to church. Community, um, specific teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, singing. Singing, worship, mm-hmm. rest. Um, all of these are, are really great reasons as to why people should mm-hmm. go to church. But. Yes. You I, knew this was coming. Of course I did. What about the people who have been so hurt by the church or the Bible or Christians or whatever mm-hmm. um, and just cannot bring themselves to come back to church? I mean, that was me for so oh, long. I know. I know. I mean, do you think that all people, all, all people who ascribe to like the Christian doctrines or all Christians or whatever language we want to use, do you think everyone who believes those things should go to church all the time? That's a tough question. I know, and I'm pushing you. So, like, whatever you say is, is fine. <laughs> I think, you know, for a per, I, I mean, I haven't been hurt the same way. So, for me to say, like, yes, you need to, wouldn't be appropriate because I haven't lived that journey. My hope and prayer would be that you could eventually get there, but I think the church has a lot of work to do to sort of correct that bad behavior and that sin to make itself a place where everybody can be. Because that's the one thing about these early churches is that um, nobody was really getting kicked out for some stuff. They were mostly grappling with issues, but they were grappling together. And I think yeah. that's the that's the really bad shift that's happened in a lot of churches is that we don't grapple and learn together. We tell people, get out. And yeah. that's a problem. So for me, if you're a Christian out there and you've been really hurt by the church, and you know, I, I can't say I blame you, um, let me apologize on behalf of the clergy and church, even though 
I, I mean, I, I think it's my responsibility as a clergy to apologize to, yeah. to things that have been said to you. Um, I would, I pray that somehow um, God leads you where you need to be. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's pretty much what I wanted you to say, so good job. <laughs> um, no, I, I do think that stepping away from the church can be really beneficial. Oh, yeah. Um, for a time. I mean, one of my favorite lines that I've written for this new book is, I stepped away from the church and fell headlong into the heart of Jesus. Yeah. And, I mean, that really was my whole experience was that, like, I had to l- completely leave the church just to rediscover Jesus and who God is and his, God's, like, kindness and goodness and grace and compassion and all of the good things. Um, I was thinking the other day, I listened to a podcast, and I don't remember which podcast it was, but mm-hmm. I'll try to find it. And it was an interview with Sarah Bessie, mm-hmm. who, if you don't know who Sarah Bessie is, you should. She is an author. She wrote Jesus Feminist and... We should link some of her books. Out of sorts, yeah. Um, we'll link some of her stuff in the podcast so you can take a look at it. Yes, we will. It's well worth it. Yes. Um, and she was talking on this podcast about how she may not necessarily believe or agree with the universal church, um, but she believes in her church. Yes. And she talked about, like, her little local church that, like, meets in a gym mm-hmm. that the people who have, like, become, like, family and the families who have helped her raise her kids and, um, even though she doesn't believe in the whole big thing, she believes in that. And I think that's I'm a- going to start crying again. <laughs> well, I mean, I can, I, I feel kind of similar to Sarah Bessie where, like, I believe in the church that I pastor, um, very much so. I also believe in the, my home church, uh, First Congregational Church in Montclair, um, because even though they're a small church and the big church, they... Uh, are they were one of the first affirming churches in in Montclair, and they they affirmed me. And sometimes you need that little introduction to the little church, where the little church can heal your wounds from other little churches, yeah. to get you to start to believe in the power of the big church and the potential, and the possibilities. The church, the big church, has so many possibilities. If we ever get there as humans, it's going to change the world. It's just we're not there yet. And the little churches, I think God kind of taps them in a way for specific mm-hmm. points to get people who are hurt to start to fall in love again with the church. And um, I experienced that with First Congregational Church in Montclair. I know I hope that people feel that way at Community Church at Cedar Grove. Um, and I I hope that some, that that's what I pray for, for people who have been really hurt by the church, that somehow you accidentally stumble upon any little church it could be you know I, I know somebody who's pastoring a little church in her home and that's a church too yeah that that church introduces you back into the idea of being in community with people and you fall in love again and that introduces you back into the possibilities yeah and I think that's like when I just want to get this part out because it's so good all right go ahead, I wrote it. Go ahead. but I, I will try really hard to mm-hmm. not cry um but that is, like, when my heart started softening again mm-hmm. towards the idea of church. And I am going to cry. I can't do it. Okay. Um, like, even though I'm not convinced that the universal church mm-hmm. is any good, mm-hmm. I do believe in some churches. Mm-hmm. Like our church. Yeah. 
I believe in community church, and I think community church believes in you. And I think for those of people out there listening right now who kind of don't see how important your actions are, I mean, you can hear in my wife's voice and how she's crying right now that the simple act of loving a person for who they are, affirming their gifts and graces, and allowing them to carve space for themselves is is life-changing. And, you know, I always say this to community church all the time because they're always just like, they don't see their impact in the wider world. And, you know, if they, they see it a little bit and then they're like, oh my gosh, that's that's what I'm going to be doing. And I think these little churches that are doing that, like, like I said, community church, Cedar Grove, and First Congregational Church in Montclair, and, and pretty much most of the churches I know in, in uh, the UCC out here in New Jersey, those those little ripples you're making are saving people's lives. And I think if you're out there doing that work as a pastor or a lay leader or even just a person sitting in the pews, like, God bless you because you are truly healing a lot of wounds. And I can understand why you don't believe in the wider church. There are times I don't believe in it either, even though I pastor in that, that system. I think it's up to our little churches out there, the little C's, to challenge and take on the big C and make it look the way it's supposed to look. Didn't I tell you? I mean, I warned you that I was going to be open and vulnerable and transparent, but uh, man, I did not think I was going to cry like that. But that's what happened, and these conversations are so important, and so I just kept it in the recording. All right, friends, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode or it positively impacted you in any way, please think about uh, just taking a few seconds to give us an honest five-star rating and review. It really means so much to us, and it helps others find the podcast, too. Until next time, this has been Making Room on the Pew.